Be with her now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you so much, Graham. Shalom. <laughs> Lovely to see all of you. Uh, some of you probably are, are new, so let me just uh, quickly uh, say a few words about myself. Uh, I'm, uh, my name is Rachel Landrum, and I'm in the Ministry of Jews for Jesus. Um, I was born in Romania when I was 12. My parents and I moved to Israel, and that's where both my parents and I became believers in Jesus. Um, uh, I was 18 when I actually, by God's grace, came to know Jesus personally. Uh, and uh, later on, God put it on my heart not only to keep the love that he had for me to myself, but to share it with others. And that's the reason why right now I'm a, minister, I'm, I'm, I'm a, a missionary with Jews for Jesus, sharing the love of God with Jewish people. And um, everybody else wants to know more about Jesus from a Jewish perspective. Uh, so my husband Mark and I have been with uh, Jews for Jesus for a uh, long time. He's been longer with, than, than me. Um, but here in, um, in Australia, rather particularly in Sydney, we've been for about 13 years. Uh, so we uh, praise the, God, the Lord for what he has done through our ministry. I'll share with you more a little bit about the ministry of Jews with Jesus, give you some updates about what's going on with us. Um, and uh, uh, I'll share a little bit more about uh, how you can be involved in what God is doing through us. Uh, but right now, I'd like to share with you, as uh, we talked about Pentecost, I'd like to give you the background of what it is. Because, see, the thing God never works. Jesus didn't come in a vacuum. He came at that particular time that the prophets have prophesied that he would come, and he did exactly what God had already told us before he, we would, that he would do. And so nothing is actually just, oh, take us by surprise. It took the disciples even by surprise, but because they didn't even look to see, they expected what they thought in their mind that it's going to happen instead of actually looking at God's word to see what he has in mind to say. Because if they looked more closely, then it wouldn't have been surprised. Then later on, they actually they looked, ah, yes, that's what it was. Yeah, he already told us that before. Actually, the book of Gen from the beginning in Genesis told us that Jesus would come. So uh, what I wanted to share with you uh, this morning is a little bit of the background of what Pentecost is all about that is known as Pentecost to believers, to believers in Jesus. Um, <clears throat> So I would like to invite you to open your Bibles, if you have your Bibles with you, uh, to Leviticus 23. In uh, the chapter, we're not going to read the whole chapter, but in, the, in Leviticus 23, we have a list of major feasts and holy days of Israel. We're not going to go through all of those holidays. Uh, we'll just read a small, small um, passage of actually two holidays. We're going to talk about Pentecost, but actually, I want to talk about one of the feasts that precedes that, and that is Passover. And in a second, you will see why I want to talk about Passover before I talk about Pentecost. Um, and we'll take a look at that and how it was celebrated in biblical times and how each one of them makes a picture of redemption that God already had planned for us, for all human, all mankind. Um, so, um, beginning in chapter 23, um, it says, uh, verses 4 to 6, 
These are the appointed times of the Lord, holy convocations which you shall proclaim at the times appointed to them. Uh, in the first month of the 14th day of the month at twilight is the Lord's Passover. Then on the 15th day, the same month, there will be the Feast of Unleavened Bread to the Lord for uh, uh, the uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread to the Lord, for, ev for seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. As you see from the text, the very thing that we notice here is the Feast of Passover. Um, it says that it's to initiate the calendar of Israel. It says in the first month of the year. Um, uh, something to, to pay, um, uh, pay attention to. Um, now, if you know anything about Old Testament history, you'll know that actually Exodus was a paradigm example of God's redemption uh, for the nation of Israel. Throughout the whole Old Testament history, Lord is mentioning over and over again, saying, I'm the Lord your God who took you out of Egypt. He took us from slavery into the promised land, where we're supposed to be free. So that is actually um, a, a major point in the history of Israel. Throughout the whole of, of, of the whole Testament, Old, Old Testament, God says we shouldn't worship any other gods, but God who took us out of Egypt. I'm the Lord, your God, who took you out of Egypt. That's something that it's amazing. He's the one with his mighty hand. He took us out from slavery into the promised land. So Exodus is a sort of a touchstone of salvation of the history of Israel. And by extension to all of us as believers in Jesus. So whenever we needed to know who God is and what he is like towards us, we look back, the, back to the Exodus experience to see this is the God faithful God who took us out of Egypt from slavery into the redemption of the promised land. But first of all, what um, we need to see here that God rearranges the calendar of Israel. So it starts with the celebration of, the, of redemption. Uh, and we'll see actually throughout other holidays, redemption is the touchstone of all the other holidays. Because it says in, uh, in um, Exodus chapter 12, God says, and it shall be the beginning of the year for you. But actually, the initial New Year, Jewish New Year, actually is in September, October. And uh, it's in the Jewish calendar the same day, but it's, that's why in the calendar that we all use, it's, it, it seems like as if it's changing. But here... Um, we see that God changes the calendar of Israel to memorize the act of redemption and to start Israel sort of recording in some chronological order the events of life based on the Exodus salvation experience. Actually, we do the same today. And I love that song that we sang. It says, history split in two. And that's what we do today. Every time you write... Every, every time it, for work or for writing a letter, most people don't write it. We don't write emails. Actually, we, you know, there's the date. So every time we write the date, what's the date today? The 4th of June, 2017. All right. 
So what's, what's about 2017? Because history of humankind started a little bit before that, right? Not as long as actually the uh, evolutionists are saying, uh, according to the scriptures actually. Um, and even um, more recent scholars, they, they said the earth is a little bit younger than, that's a different story altogether, younger than, than what um, evolutionists are saying. Creation started a little bit sort of, a little bit yeah, um, earlier, sort of not billions and billions of years, but a little bit uh, more closer to the time that actually uh, biblical times are, are saying. But that's a different story altogether. But still, there was history before 2017, right? We have recordings of that. So why do we say 2017? What happened roughly at that time? Jesus came, right? And that is a major thing in history of humankind. That changes everything, right? So what actually we do when we write the date today, we actually say history is split between time before Jesus and after Jesus because that was a monumental time in history of mankind. So that's why God is actually rearranging the, the Jewish calendar. Why? Because something important happened then. So, um, much in the same way that Israel has to mark the events of its life from year to year, it started, it started here. God rearranges the calendar and says the first month, it's not uh, the Jewish New Year, Rosh Hashanah, as we say in Hebrew, which is September, October, but we start with that with Passover because that was a monumental time of redemption for the Jewish people. That actually foreshadows the redemption that we're going to be having in, in, in Jesus about roughly 2,000 years ago. Now let's take a closer look at the, this particular holiday and see, see how it foreshadows the ultimate redemption of, of uh, mankind. Um, if you recall the story, of, uh, the, the, the story of Exodus, God instructs the children of Israel to... Um, to take um, a spotless lamb and to put its blood and to apply its blood to the doorposts of their homes. First to the top, the lintel, and then to the two side posts. And as they were putting it on top, the blood would drip down and then would have to put that there, put it on each side of it. What do you get? What you have here. The blood would be put on top, would go down, and then they would have to put it on each side of them. From it already, we see that God gives us a hint of what he's going to do later in the person of Jesus. And then I don't think it's a coincidence that later, uh, Yohanan, you might know him better as John, uh, John the Baptist, standing in the River Jordan, speaking to a Jewish group, looked out and saw another Jewish man approaching and he said of him, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Um, so, I don't know whether he really fully, totally understood what he was saying, but definitely that was God's Spirit putting those words in his mouth. Did you understand? Maybe, but not maybe the whole full extent of that. That the Messiah was going to be the Lamb of God who was slain from the foundation of the earth for our salvation. 
And maybe John understood that the first Paschal lambs that were slaughtered and then the blood applied on the doorposts of Israelites' homes were the foreshadowing or of type of the true Lamb of God who would, his blood would be applied to the doorposts of our hearts to avert judgment for our sins. And I don't think that it's a coincidence that the Lamb of God himself, celebrating this very feast of Passover, Passover redemption from Egypt, took these elements and elevated them to a deeper meaning, a fuller meaning of what redemption would be. On the very night that he was betrayed, he sat down at the Passover table with his disciples, a Seder meal, a Passover meal, to celebrate the feast of redemption, and yet foreshadowing an even greater redemption And he took these elements, they elevated them to a deeper meaning, saying that that he took the unleavened bread, which in Jewish tradition uh, of Passover presents the the bread of affliction, which our forefathers had to experience in Egypt. It's made without leaven, as you you might know, uh, leaven symbolizes sin. So unleavened bread, he took that unleavened bread, and he says this is no longer the bread of affliction, but this is my body given for you. And then after uh, the meal, he took the, um, the cup, the cup of redemption. There were four cups, but he took the cup, the third cup after the meal, the cup of redemption. He says, this is my blood given for you for the remission of sin. So this is something that it already was in the tradition, the Jewish tradition. And people that were sitting together with him, they all understood it. But he took these elements that were part of the celebration that they all knew all about. And he elevated it to, to a deeper, more significant meaning. Um, now we're going to go to the next holiday. Um, that, that we find in uh, Leviticus uh, 23. Now, before we look in the text directly, I want to give you some, and that is the feast of, uh, for, uh, it's called First Fruits, or um, in Hebrew, Bikurim. Now, let me give you a little bit of background before we get to the, this holiday. Um, Israel is, was a in biblical times, an agricultural society. They didn't live in big industrial cities uh, and factories. They lived uh, close to the land, and most of the people were, in one way or another, involved in the uh, producing of food from the land. But Israel was a unique nation, for God has promised that he would bless them in their produce if they obeyed God, God's moral code. It doesn't matter how good they were at being good farmers and producing things, how, how wise they were or how hard they work. If they didn't obey God, their produce wouldn't be blessed. And the other way around. It doesn't matter if they made mistakes or didn't know anything about it. I mean, even somebody like me... Um, sort of a city girl, could go and actually work the land. But if I obeyed God, God would bless the produce of my hands. So the same thing for, for the children of Israel. Actually, 
the land was a blessing, the land and the produce was a blessing based on not on their physical, their actual effort, but on their obeying the Lord. Sounds a little bit familiar? Because it's the same thing today. I'm not saying we shouldn't be skilled in what we do. We need to because that's what God, God is the one who provides the skills and the gifts that he's giving us to do all kinds of different jobs that we have. But they all need to be dedicated to the Lord. If I dedicate my skills and the gifts that he's giving, us, giving me and I obey God, then I would be blessed the same way with everyone. It doesn't matter if I make mistakes, but if I obey God... That is the key principle. So that's the way it was for the children of Israel. Um, and so many of the feasts that, were, uh, that are in, in, in this particular chapter are one way or related to the agricultural growing cycle of Israel. Now, um, let's look at this particular holiday that it's uh, called general the, first, the, the Feast of the First Fruits. Let me explain what it's supposed to happen. The barley ripens uh, first. There's going to be wheat, um, wheat uh, produce coming later in uh, the, the Israeli summer. But this is the beginning of the produce. And this is the barley that ripens first. So in, I mentioned the word bikurim. You don't have to remember that. That is actually literally translated the first fruits. So the first fruits come in this particular time. So we have, we have the connection here between the first fruits to the firstborn redeemed from the dead and now consecrated to the Lord. Because what happens here? We have uh, the farms of, farmlands of Israel are full of, of barley and uh, that's the first grain to, to mature. So what the children of Israel are supposed to do is take some of those first fruits and make into a, making into a cake and bring it to the high priest and he's supposed to take that, wave it before the Lord and say, thank you, Lord, for what is coming. See, that's the first fruits. If we, God provides the first fruits for us, even if we make mistakes in, in producing or, 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 or sort of um, in the harvest, God is the one who provides faithfully and says, if I provided this for you, that means that it is more to come. Right? This is God's faithfulness saying to us, if I provided the first fruits, there's something more coming. This is just the beginning. Right? And what happened? Let's, let's see. What happened? Uh, well, we're going to say, before we do that, well, let's look at the text directly. It says, when are we supposed to actually do this? It says, um, we're supposed to do that the day after the Sabbath. Well, wait a second. Which Sabbath? Because there are 52 Sabbaths in a year, right? So which one? Which one? You know, Moses, hey, tell us the date. Actually, this, this particular holiday is the only holiday that doesn't have, in the scripture that is, a feast, that doesn't have a date. Because you, when we read Passover, it says, uh, on, it tells us the date. On this particular date in the Jewish calendar, this is when you need to do. 
started the celebrating Passover. But here, this is the, first, the, the feast of the first fruits. It doesn't tell us the day. It just, it says, you know, it's the, the day after the Sabbath. But if we look closely here, we'll see that it's connected. And that's the reason we start with Passover, because it's connected to Passover. The first fruits, it says the day after the Sabbath. But which one? After Passover. So what are we supposed to do that? We're supposed to take the grain on the day after the Sabbath, after the Passover. So let's say Passover falls on the Thursday. So what are, are we supposed to take, cut the grain? Well, the day after the Sabbath. So when are we supposed to do that? If it's, let's say, Saturday, when is the next day after the Sabbath that I have to cut the grain, bring it to the priest and him waving it? Thank you, Lord, for what is coming. What is the day after the Sabbath? It was a Sunday. Now, what happened 2,000 years ago, roughly, the day after the Sabbath, after Passover? Jesus, right, that's right, died and rose again from the dead. So, see, he is called, John calls him the first fruits from the dead. This is connected to, uh, to the physical God gives us the tangible, like the harvest, to pick it up. And so bring it to the Lord and say, you, it's not, this is not just physical, this is mundane every day that I do every day. But everything that I do every day is connected spiritually to what God is doing in my life. You cannot separate. Now and then, unfortunately, most people do separate. This is separate. This is secular. Now, this is on Sunday, I maybe I might go to church, or maybe on Christmas I'll go to church. I'll do something spiritual. No, that's not God. That's the way God intended for us to have. The physical is connected to the spiritual. You can't take one without the other. You see the connection? So that's, that's Sunday when the priest took the first fruits from the grain, and he waved it before the Lord, and he says, Thank you, Lord, for what is coming. We had another first fruits, the firstborn from the dead that came to give us life. So Jesus came back from the dead. So I don't think it is a coincidence, as I mentioned before, that you know, Paul writes about Jesus' resurrection, saying he's the first fruits from the dead. So if he came from the, came, died for our sins and rose again from the dead, and he's the first fruits, guess what happens to those who put the trust in him? They would rise again from the dead. So it means that we would not be in the grave, but we will be in God's presence forever if we just put our trust in him. Isn't that amazing? I think so. Um, so as you can see that this is all connected. He gives us, God gives us the tangible to show us what he does in the spiritual realm because they're all together. So do you think it's a coincidence that Paul comments on Jesus' resurrection body indicated that all of us who put our trust and faith in Jesus are going to, to get the same bodies because he's the first firstborn from the dead. He's the first among the brethren. He's the first fruits. 
Now, uh, let's look on again to uh, keep going to verse 15. Uh, the same holiday. From the, from the day after the Sabbath, the day you brought the sheath of the wave offering, count off seven full weeks. Count off 50 days to the time after the seventh Sabbath and then present an offering of new grain to the Lord. So this is really the first harvest in the Jewish calendar. There are two growing seasons in Israel. There's a short spring season and a longer growing season. That's usually the, uh, the wheat in the summertime. Um, but let's look. This is the end of the first one. And that's when the, and when the wheat harvest is really ready. And what the children of Israel are supposed to do is bring their crops to the Lord and offer them to God. But here's an interesting question. And I think I hinted that a little bit earlier. Do you realize that you cannot celebrate Pentecost without first celebrating Passover? See, Passover tells you the date in the Jewish calendar when you need to celebrate. But it doesn't tell you what exactly the date is. It tells you you have to start counting seven full weeks, which is 50. Pentecost comes from the word 50 in Greek. So basically what it tells you, you need to start counting from where? The day after Passover, right? So you need to first celebrate Passover, put it in your calendar, and then start counting, and that's how you get the date. It's simple but yet is connected. So let's see why is that connection. Because, see that, so if you didn't celebrate Passover, you didn't celebrate redemption, you didn't celebrate what God has done through, uh, through that monumental time when he took the children of Israel out of Egypt into, this, into the promised land to give them freedom, to be the way that they, they were designed to be, the way that we are designed to be, Without celebrating that, you don't know when to start counting, right? So you need to know, you first need to celebrate Passover, and then you count from now one, two, three, till you get to 50, Pentecost. Um, so you can see there your, the connection that the Feast of Pentecost is connected to the Feast of Passover. In the Old Testament, um, and actually even the New Testament, the number seven is, is, a, is a number of completion, of fulfillment of a, a cycle. So we have here a completion of a cycle, although the Jewish calendar continues to go further on, but there's a connection here that is a full cycle. Passover, redemption, and then you have the Feast of the First Fruits that is connected by 50, by a completion of the cycle. Um, what we need to see is that the Feast of Pentecost is really connected to the Feast of Passover because God didn't take us out of Egypt to just give us uh, an adventure <laughs> through, the, through the desert for 40 years for no reason. That redemption has a goal. It's to bring us in to the promised land, to give us his blessing, so that we might actually know his promises, his redemption, and his freedom. That's the reason why he connects the physical 
to the spiritual to show us unless you are redeemed there's no way you can have the blessing of Pentecost right those two are connected all of us want God's blessing right who doesn't want to be blessed right but you cannot have that blessing of the Holy Spirit unless you go through the Exodus experience first so I don't think it's a coincidence that the power of God fell on the 100 in the upper room on the day of the first, this is when we celebrated first fruits. And when God initiated and inaugurated his body, that happened on that day. The same principle applies. We cannot know the presence and the power and the personality of the Holy Spirit in our lives unless we first go through the cross, through the Calvary, through the resurrected empty tomb. We have to have the Passover experience in our lives first. We cannot, you, you need to know the reality of the blood of our Savior that has shed for us in order to be able to experience the blessing of the Holy Spirit. We need to know the power of his resurrected body in order to have the Holy Spirit in our lives. You see the connection? I hope so. Because one, you cannot take one without the other. He could, easily God could have put the day. This is the day that you need to celebrate the feast of the first fruits. Easily. You know, it, it's not like he forgot. But he connected that because he wants us to see that we cannot have one without the other. You have to start counting to be able to get to that right point. You need to celebrate it first. You need to know the reality of God's redemption before we experience the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that in your, God, in your great goodness and mercy, you provided for us a tangible way for us to really see the reality of what Jesus did on the cross for us. You gave us hint over hint over hint in the pages of the Old Testament. So we will see and experience the reality of the freedom that you gave us later through the person of the Holy Spirit that initiated a monumental event in the, bo in the body that you created. Your children help us to be really experiencing the freedom that we have in you and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Not to be in bondage. You wanted us to go through the Passover experience so we will know the reality of the blood that you shed for us for the remission of our sin. But you don't want us to be there. Not to stay there. Go through that so we can come to the goal of your salvation. To be men and women that have freedom to be the way that you designed us to be, your children. In Jesus' name, amen. And uh, right now what I like to do is I like to share with you a little bit about the ministry of Jews for Jesus. 
this is a message and other messages that basically we connect, we, we share with Jewish people in, in, in this country, wherever God takes us and around the world because Jews for Jesus is a, is a worldwide organization. And uh, in doing so, I'd like to invite you to take out these cards that hopefully you received together with your, the bulletin. Anybody who didn't receive or yes? If you didn't receive one, just uh, put your hand up and maybe someone. Anybody who didn't have one? Because everybody, you know, we, we, if you remember last time we were here or other times, we in Just for Jesus have a ritual of tearing the card together. So everybody needs to have the card. Um, and I think that, put your hand up if you didn't receive one. Beautiful. So uh, those of you who did get it, notice that the card is perforating and if, on one side. And if you're bending it back and forth on that perforation, it will be easier for us to... Um, to tear it together. So at a count of three, you're happy? I'm not going to count to 50. I'm going <laughs> to count only to three. So at a count of three, we'll tear it together. I'll wait for everybody to receive one. So just if you're bending it back and forth on that perforation, it'll be easier to do that. Great. So let's do that. Ready? One, two, three. Oh, it's not easy for me to do that. I mean, it's hard to do that with the mic. But anyway, unless you've done something creative, you should have two cards, one smaller, one larger. The small card is for you to keep. Maybe you can put it in your Bible or somewhere else where it's easier to, to, um, to remember us being here and pray for our ministry so we'll see more Jewish people come to know Jesus. And the larger card is for you to fill out with your details in the front and the back of the card. Uh, one of the boxes uh, that uh, at the bottom of the card says, uh, if, um, I would like to receive your regular mailing about uh, Jews for Jesus. That's um, a newsletter, free newsletter that's designed specifically for Christians and it tells you more about the Jewish church of your faith, much like I've shared with you this morning. And also it tells you more about our ministry so you can be part of what God is doing through us so we'll see more Jewish people come to know Jesus. Uh, because it started with us. With, the gospel was given to us to pass it on to the rest of the world. And now the first disciples did a great job. Uh, once they figure out that this is a message that goes to the rest of the world, Peter, you know, Peter got it. Wait a second, this is not just for us, it's for uh, the rest of the world. If it's good for us, it should be good for the rest of the world, right? Now the thing is the other way around. If it's good for the rest of the world, it's good for the Jewish people as well. Not a lot of Jewish people know that. That's the reason why we have the ministry of Jesus for Jesus, bringing the gospel back. So they will... In in turn, have that freedom that you and I have in the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, so we, um, uh, we share with you about what God is doing through, us, through our ministry. I just wanted to uh, share with you about just one of the most, you know, uh, this recently exciting thing. Um, Mark, my husband, has been meeting for almost 13 years since we got, got here to uh, Australia with uh, Russian Jewish men. Um, 
and uh, not not a believer and uh, share the scriptures with them. That's one of the things that we do. We have a bookshop in Bandai Junction where we have a lot of people coming in and we share the gospel through through books and through sitting down together with a cup of coffee with them. But also we meet with uh, Jewish people on a, re- on a regular basis, either uh, on one-on-one or as with couples or as a group. And we read scriptures together, teach them, and pray with them, share our experiences with the Lord. And um, so uh, Zach, uh, this Jewish man, said already from the beginning, he says, I'm willing to meet with you, but I'm not going to b- believe in Jesus. Uh, I'm going to be a hard case for you. I'm not going to be, you know, you know, sort of, um, you, it, a lot of times they would say, you can't convert me. And so Mark says, okay, well, it was just if you, you know, want to meet with me, and we can read scriptures. I can, uh, I can teach you the things that I know, and I, I'll pray for you. Um, so uh, that was 13 years ago, the beginning of it, that, that they've been meeting on a regular basis. Now, at the beginning of this year, Zach actually did become a believer in Jesus. And I love God's, God's sense of humor, right? If you tell him, no, I'm not going to do something, guess what? You know, he is above that he can override that uh, but actually Zach's heart became softened as the more they progressed in their studying together and um and not long ago Zach actually got baptized he's already part of a congregation uh goes regularly uh and continues uh, to meet with Mark as a matter of fact uh one of the things that uh um he said to Mark now that I'm a believer would you still meet with me so it's so amazing to see that, you know, Mark was so delighted to hear that Zach really, you know, cherished those times that they get, got together and read the scriptures and pray together. So, you know, he says, well, yes, of course, because that's more reasons for him to meet with him because now he's discipling Zach. He's taking him. That's what one of the things that we do when a, a person becomes a believer. We take them by hand like, like babies, you know. You have to take them by hand so they actually can walk on their own. So that's what we do. We disciple them, uh, and uh, if they're not part of a congregation, we try to find a place where they keep, keep growing and being part of a, a faith community like this. So, um, so it's exciting to see that, you know, he, Zach is growing in his new faith, um, and to see that, you know, he's sort of like really growing seriously in, in, his, uh, in his faith and, and is delighted to still meet with Mark. Uh, for him to to keep helping him in his uh, walk with with the Lord, uh, that's just one of the stories. There's a lot of other stories of people that you know we meet. Um, I meet with people that I've been also meeting for about 13 years, but not believers yet. And so they are really appreciate the faithfulness of us meeting with them. But um, pray, please pray for those people that we meet on a regular basis, that God will touch them in such a way that not just they will appreciate our meeting together, but the goal of what we're meeting with them, that they will come to know and experience the freedom of the Holy Spirit that you and I have. Um, what I like to also actually, so the newsletter will inform you in a specific way how you can pray for people like Zach and other people as well that we meet on a regular basis. But also I like to, ha- uh, I like to ask you for prayer. I uh, mentioned that we have a bookshop in Bandai Junction, which is eastern suburbs. That's where the most of the Jewish community is. Uh, we uh, have to actually move 
we got uh, got a notice that we have to move from the premises we're renting, so premises where we are, uh, by the end of this month, we need to find a new place. Um, so please pray for us that we will actually find, well, actually God will lead us to the right place that he wants us to be. That would be uh, the reason why we, uh, we had to move, because the, the landlord um, put up the price uh, much more than we can afford. So um, pray, pray with us that we'll find the right place for the budget that we have, uh, and that will be effective as this place is where we are right now. Right now, this um, amazing place where it's like a lot of, we have a, uh, not only books, but also we have um, a coffee shop there that, you know, a lot of people that pass by uh, either come and, and have a coffee and sit down and we get a chance to talk to them or just take take a cup of coffee and move on to take the train, which is not very far from, from there. Uh, so please pray that God will provide a place where there's a lot of be a lot of people who walk by that they will be seen. Because not we want to be seen, but we want to put the light <laughs> on a hill that it will be seen that His light will shine in such a way that people will come and ask why is why why is so much peace in here? Why? Because we have people like that uh, that come and say, "Well, this is so nice and peaceful. I want to come have a cup of coffee and sit down here because it's a nice place." Not just not because we are we, we like to think we're nice, but it's not us. We want people to meet. We want people to meet Jesus. And that's the reason why we're there. And that's what we want to be on a, put the light up on a hill so they will be seen. So pray, pray with us that we'll find the right hill. That God will light us to the right hill where we, can, we should be. Uh, at the end of the service, uh, uh, um, I will be back here, the, I think it's that way, the hall where we have uh, the tea and coffee. And I have some books I'd like to share with you. One of the books that I have here is called The Feast of the Lord. Uh, that shares in further details about those two holidays that I mentioned and how it is all connected to Jesus. Um, and uh, I'll be more than happy to answer any questions you might have about what I said this morning about or about Jews Jesus or Jews for Jesus. And uh, in a few moments after we take communion, there will be an, off, uh, there will be an opportunity to be part of our ministry, not only by prayer, but also financially. Uh, just a few words about that. If you're here this morning, but you're not a believer in Jesus yet, I'd like you not to give an offering, because I can't ask you to give to tell others about Jesus when you don't know him yourself. Or rather, you receive a gift from God, the gift of Passover. <laughs> Before you give, give back to him. And if you're a believer in Jesus, I'd like you not to give in that offering the support to your local church. Because we believe that first you need to support your local congregation and a ministry. Uh, and a gift to a ministry like Jews for Jesus should be other than that support. But having said that, we're welcoming your support. And if you choose to give, there's a blank on the larger card that you can put down the amount of your gift to us. You don't have to do that. But that will enable us to send you a receipt and also thank you personally for your gift to us. But feel free to drop in this card, filled out, of course, uh, in the basket plate, whatever comes along. You don't have to, baskets, you don't, uh, sorry, uh, bags, sorry, bags. <laughs> bags, uh, you don't have to give in anything in order to receive the newsletter. So you just can um, fill this card, put it in there, and we'll uh, be happy to be in touch with you. And also, it's going to be a two-way. We tell you how you can pray for us, and we'd love to hear from you how we can pray for you as well.
So looking forward to talking to you over a cup of coffee or tea, and thank you so much for inviting us to come again.